I feel like you guys were prepped. <laughs> but uh, we, we appreciate that. But also, he told you to stand up, and you didn't. Oh my gosh, did you notice? not stand up. Did you notice that? Yeah. This I just, we are good. No, I'm, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. <laughs> we're good. Hey, good morning, everybody. How are you, Heartland? Good? Good morning to all of you who are watching online. Now, you, you probably, if you've been around Heartland, you've met me many times. My name is Brad. I get to serve as one of the pastors, but I am so excited that I get to team up with my favorite person in the entire world, my most favoritist person in the entire world, my wife, Allison. So uh, I'm excited that you get to, you may have gotten to meet her before, but you get to meet her in this way today. And we get to talk about something that's really special to us. It's been a part of our journeys and our stories. But before we go there, maybe to help you get to know us a little bit, let's, let's rewind the tape a little bit. Should we go all the way back to 2004? When... Let's go back to 04. <laughs> so this is kind of when, when us all... What was going on in 04? Well, a lot of things, but the most important thing was, was that we, you and I got married. This, we'll is, this is when it all happened. So Look at those. I want to like squeeze them and say, oh, buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> look, how, look, how, look how much we excitement we have. Jazz. I mean, there is no question about it. Yeah. We were excited about what was ahead of us, but I think one thing you know, I mean, at any point of your life, you never know what's ahead of you. And, and that's especially true, you know, when you get married, you have no idea what kind of things you're going to be journeying through in life. I think we life. thought we had a pretty good idea. Well, that, that's funny. <laughs> that has been a recurring theme yes. that we kind of think we, yeah, yes. we have it all, we yeah. know what's coming, but we didn't. But so we've, we've kind of been some different places in life, but here's another picture. So one of those places that we journeyed into was parenting. Yeah. So here was our first little oh cherub. Oh gosh, so cute. What's funny is this was at the pumpkin patch. That's the only time there weren't tears in that baby's eyes was when this picture was taken. I remember that. You know what? We might have overestimated taking like a three-month-old to the pumpkin patch. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We're all learning. Right. But we've been learning on the way. And, and now, this is kind of more recently what our family looks like now. This is taking this last year camping nearby. Something we love to do. So that one child has, um, we now we have four, along with two dogs. Yes. That keep our lives the full. The good times roll. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that's our, that's our family, our four kids. Um, and one thing you, you know is that you, you never quite know where you're going to wind up in life and in marriage. And some of the territory, some of the spaces that you're going to wind up in. I mean, just think physically, uh, each, of the, each of the places that we've been in life, there can be certain stereotypes that come with them. Like there's stereotypes to marriage, there's stereotypes to parenting. There's also like the physical places that we've been through in life. We got married in St. Louis. There's stereotypes about St. Louis, especially from people in Kansas City. Maybe you have some views about people from St. Louis, like, like that people from St. Louis love thin crust pizza. Thin crust pizza. Uh, with fake cheese on it. Toasted ravioli. Uh, yes, yeah, I, do, I do love both of these things. I, I do too. Um, sure. That we love talking about our high schools, that yes. we can't get enough of the high school that we went to. Um, or that we, there's a stereotype that we love cheering on consistently winning professional baseball teams. Go Cards. <laughs> whoop, whoop. There's a little bit of a stereotype to that. And it's tough for some. <laughs> yeah. Um, then from there we went to Arkansas. Yeah, and we were in Arkansas for a long time. And, and I definitely think there's some stereotypes about Arkansas. Yeah. That I, you... Uh, like, I, t I told God, I'll go anywhere but Arkansas. I knew too many people from Arkansas. When I, you asked me to go to Arkansas, I was like, what? Where is Arkansas? I, like, I can't I, understand when they speak. They um, call pigs. They have mascots yes. that are pigs. Yeah. Um, but it was a... We love Arkansas. We love 
so much and so, really where we feel like we grew up. Right. A lot, a grew lot up in ministry, grew up our family. Um, uh, but we definitely left with more cowboy boots. And, trucks. And the use of the word y'all. Yeah. My favorite word is y'all. I think also um, some knowledge on like barbecue yes. that we've been able to carry here to Kansas City. Well, Kansas City kind of has a pretty good claim to barbecue. Well, I know, yeah, but I'm just well. saying. <laughs> but that's where it kind of first became. Yeah. So anyway, there were some stereotypes there. And then speaking of stereotypes, when we told people in Arkansas we were moving to Minnesota, they had no. Our friends could not even fathom that they people were, lived there. Is that Canada? Right. It's yeah. basically. Mm-hmm. And there are some stereotypes to Minnesota. We know we have friends right now from Minnesota who are watching and, and like, you know, ice fishing, driving on the ice. Wild. Like making fun, like having fun on the ice in the middle of the long, cold, dark winters that they have there. Yeah. Um, hot dish. Anyone know hot dish? You betcha. Yeah. Yeah. Or, oh, yeah, of course. Oh, you betcha. Oh, you betcha. Yeah. So now we have all y'all, y'all, and oh, you betcha. And guys, like, guys, hey guys. you guys. <laughs> So we sound like really confused Midwesterners. We do. <laughs> I don't know what to do with us. I really don't. Um, but we say that just to give an example that, that we have all sorts of stereotypes in our lives. The places that we, we live, the parts of town that you live, you live in, maybe when you tell someone that it may come with a little bit of a stereotype, that what, kind of, what teams you root for, um, the kind of work that you're in, there's stereotypes with all sorts of these things. And sometimes these stereotypes go so far to become something even bigger, even stronger, which are stigmas. And a stigma is a stereotype that um, becomes, kind of takes on a negative connotation. Um, that can then, the danger of it is that then because something has become a stigma, that it doesn't get talked about, or it isolates us, or um, we kind of separate ourselves from other people who we know are connected with whatever this certain thing is. Um, Jesus faced stigmas. Absolutely. Yeah, in fact, when Jesus first came on the scene, People said, Nazareth, that's just where he was from, can anything good come from Nazareth? Like that was a stigma. And then as he was going on in life, teaching, ministering, people were repeatedly looking at him and saying, them, like you're gonna hang out with them, you're gonna, you're gonna teach them, you're gonna spend time and socialize with them because there were all sorts of stigmas across society and Jesus had a way of, of breaking through them and just, just simply by stepping into the stigma. And so that's what we want to do today too. We want to take a stigma that we all deal with, a stigma that can isolate us, a stigma that we may not understand, and like Jesus did frequently, we just want to step into it. And it's the stigma of mental health. That as we've been talking about last week, we kicked off this new series called Mindful. How do we be mindful of the mental health as followers of Jesus? That how do we take kind of the no trespassing tape that we can sometimes put around topics like these and talk about them and step into them and not let ourselves um, fail to, te- to learn what God might want to be teaching us in a really important topic like this, which we believe that it is. And if you're wondering, why are we talking about this? I really want to encourage you to go back, watch Dan's message from last week, where he did a great job just walking through scripture, talking about why this is so important to us. And the reason is because, because God made you and I, all of us right here, all of you watching online, he made you with this magnific- magnificent and complex thing called a mind. <laughs> He made you with moods and emotions. He made you with a, with a soul. He made you with the capacity to, to feel and to think things and to have behaviors. And all of these things kind of go, go get kind of wrapped up in one another. And, and that's beautiful and it's complex 
And it's hard. Yes. Especially what we all know when we live in the world that we live in, whether it's the everyday stress of life or whether it's just the all out trauma that can, that can, that can sideswipe you from time to time and send you upside down. Um, the ability to function and live the way that God has created us to within our mental and emotional selves is not an easy thing to do. And what we've believed, what we hope you know, is that mental health, mental and emotional health are a part of all of our stories. And we want to share with you a little bit about how it's been part of our story, mm -hmm. right? Definitely. And I think one thing we want to just say as we get started is that we are not experts. Um, we are really just sharing, you, sharing with you our stories. Uh, you may find parts of these stories that you really can apply, really apply to you as well. Uh, you may be like, well, my journey was different. Uh, whatever it is, we are just sharing what our experience has been and the way that God has walked through us and never left us in that journey. Um, we're here as fellow Christ followers trying to figure it out and navigating territory that can be really hard. And what I really hope today is that we're going to normalize this conversation. Mm -hmm. That um, I've been in a church before and felt like I was the only one feeling a certain way. And if I can just tell you today that you're not the only one, and even if that is a comfort to you today, because uh, you know me now, and I've been there and felt isolated and alone and sad and scared and hopeless. Um, yeah. We just want to make this something that we can open up and talk about. And I think it's safe to say that part of what drew us to Heartland was that this wasn't a new conversation for mm -hmm. Heartland. This type of thing was already important. This conversation had already been happening thanks to the pastors and leaders that this church has had over the years. Um, and so we're not stepping into new territory. We're not just riding the wave of kind of the, the, the buzz around mental health, which we're fortunate for in our society, but we really feel like Jesus has something to contribute to this conversation. And it's not a new one, but it is one that is Heartland. We're turning the volume up a little bit this month in hopes that we can understand how does mental health and, and faith, how do, what do these things have to do with one another? So kind of just in a vulnerable sort of sense. We're just going to say, here's, here's how it showed up in our stories. Cause it was definitely so not something <laughs> that when we saw those kids getting married, how many years ago was it? It'll be 18 and 18 years ago Woo! that we were expecting. So you, for, you or me, who wants to go first? I'll go first. Um, so I think that growing up, I saw evidence of times where um, I was learning about how to take care of my own mental and emotional health, but I just wasn't equipped. I didn't know how to do it. Uh, the real catalyst for me was some wonderful news that Brad and I were expecting our, we were pregnant for the first time. And the same ultrasound where we found out that we were um, having twins, which was always a dream of mine, we found out that we had had a miscarriage. And that really sent me into a downward spiral. Um, that's another thing that maybe we don't talk about enough at church is the pain of loss in that way. And it was a truly devastating loss for us. Um, I did not deal with that pain and grief well. Um, I went back to work and kind of tried to ignore everything. I don't recommend that. Um, 
what I realized is um, several months later, we again were pregnant with our first Lucy, and it was one of the very darkest times in my life. I was terrified. I was overwhelmed with fear and anxiety, debilitating fear and anxiety, and worry and fear, and it was a terrible experience in a lot of ways because I was so sad and afraid. Um, then we had our first, and we were home with this baby, and I continued to suffer. Uh, all the things that I had asked God for, he had indeed given to me, and I was hollow and scared and couldn't feel anything and had lost so much of my joy. And it wasn't far into when our firstborn was home, probably just two or three months, when I very vividly remember sitting in the rocking chair in Lucy's nursery and holding her, and I could not stop crying and was filled with such despair. And Brad very gently and lovingly came to me and knelt beside my chair, and he just very quietly said to me, I think you need to talk to someone. Um, because Brad was someone I trusted and loved, uh, that can be a delicate thing to say to someone, <laughs> uh, but because of the data I'd collected <laughs> on Brad over the many years, I knew that he was not saying that to me lightly or flippantly. And what I appreciated about, amongst many things in that moment is Brad helped me put feet. I needed to do something. I couldn't do anything. So Brad helped me activate. He helped me make an appointment with my doctor. He watched the baby while I visited with my doctor. And for me, the careful and thoughtful plan of attack after much consideration and prayer was to utilize medication, which was God's grace to me. I also think that the next step was me seeing a counselor, which has been a really consistent part of my life, a really essential and important part. And as I continued through pregnancies and Brad working full-time and going to seminary full-time and us moving and being pregnant and having babies, um, I was better equipped each time to know what to expect. Uh, to know what to do with the depression and the anxiety that was weighing so heavy on me. I utilized God's graces to me, his, his gifts of people and relationships with professionals and relationships with counselors to um, find a place of healing. And I think for me, a place of health. Uh, I never like to use the word normal because everybody's a little weird and off. <laughs> um, but I knew for myself that there was a, a medium and I was all over the place. And I wanted to be the best version of me, Allison, so then I could therefore be the best, best version of a mom and a wife and a friend. That was motivating to me because I knew that the pain in my heart and in my soul was so debilitating that I couldn't function at a more reasonable, balanced place for me.
And I continue to find ways every day to seek those healthy patterns, those life-bringing patterns that are so important. What would, what would you say, um, as you reflect back on this journey, mm -hmm. so this goes back 15 years, basically, um, what, would, what would you say that God was teaching you through that season? Or what is it that you would want people to know that you've learned mm -hmm. from your own story and journey through mental health? I grew up in a church setting, a faith-based home, and I don't know where I picked this up along the way, but I definitely had internalized the idea that uh, my mental and emotional health was something that God and I could figure out. Um, that if I rely, I wasn't relying on him enough, I wasn't trusting him enough, I wasn't praying enough, and that's why I couldn't um, find that healthy balance in my soul and in my heart. And I realized I often, I spent a lot of time saying to myself, Allison, if you just knew Jesus more deeply, if you just were a more thriving Christ follower, then, then this wouldn't hurt so bad, and, and you could figure this out. And, but what I realized was that God's goodness to me was going to be in asking for help and making a connection with the people and the experts around me. Yeah. When I think about like 25-year-old Allison, I just wanna say to her, there's nothing wrong with you. You desperately need Jesus, but there's nothing wrong with you. Um, and that's, that's one of the things that God has really taught me. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, what about you? Oh, my turn? Yes. So I'll take a breath. <laughs> um, so kind of, I didn't hear much. I don't think many of us heard much about mental health back in our day. I know it's talked a lot more in schools today. In our day, we had physical fitness, physical health, and, and, the, and you got a, like a certificate from the president when you could do 10 pull-ups and run a mile. And remember that? Like you get the badge and the certificate. I never got that, Is that just but me? that's fine, whatever. Kind of well, seems a little braggy, but go ahead. <laughs> well, I, to say that that's where the emphasis was, like on your physical yes. health, on having a healthy diet, um, those sorts of things. And so talking and thinking about mental health, there was only, if there was any awareness of it, it was in some of the, the strongest extreme uh, understandings of that. Of, but even that was just not really talked about or known. And I remember watching you in this kind of new place in our, in our marriage. Uh, this was, as a husband, especially you know, as one who, who likes to fix things, um, I knew that this was, was not something I could fix. Um, I didn't know how to come alongside you because it was something I didn't even, you couldn't, at the time, you couldn't watch a YouTube video. About, about trying to understand this. So I was talking to other people and just getting ranges of opinions. But I'm wondering now if we should make a YouTube video. We should. Like reenact. Something Like when about. I came up to you and I was like, maybe you should talk to someone. You said it not like that, <laughs> but yes. Um, so I, and I was getting all sorts of input and feedback and perspectives and I just didn't quite know what, what to think about this. Um, 
And so I was fortunate that you took the steps that you did because it taught me some things that I didn't know down the road I was going to need to know for myself. And so it started about 10 years ago when I was having a lot of consistent, um, strong chest pains. And when you call the doctor to talk about chest pains, they want to see you. Um, and so I, I came in and they hooked me up and they ran all the tests and he sat me down and he said, the good news is there's, there's nothing wrong with your heart. He says, but let me ask you a question. How are you at managing your stress? And I didn't think anything of it. There hadn't been so much that had really changed in my life. I had always been a pretty young, I'd like to think, you know, could, had a pretty high capacity in things. And, but I knew also that in ministry, there's all sorts of things that you're facing. And, and so he was telling me, no, he was telling me that, congratulations, welcome to becoming old. Um, this is the first of many things that will be happening to your body. And, and it includes that your body is physically manifesting the signs of stress in a way that it hasn't before. And it's a warning sign that you need to pay attention to. And so I started thinking about what are some ways that I can take better care of myself with physical fitness and rest and, and walks and these sorts of things. Um, and I knew, I knew in that moment as things kind of didn't change the way that I had been hoping, I knew that it was, I think you <laughs> said the same thing to me saying, maybe it's time for you to see someone. Um, and I had told enough people as a pastor in ministry, I'd always encouraged people to talk to a counselor and said, there's, there's, there's nothing wrong. There's, there can only be good to share what you're feeling with someone else, if only to have another set of ears uh, to help you understand what's happening inside of you. And so when I finally took the step to call a counselor and, and sat nervously in that waiting room and wondered what I was gonna start talking about, um, I was met, I was met with, with a counselor who was wise and compassionate and gracious and, could expertly help me look under the hood of my, my heart and soul um, and look and be able to help me navigate that inner world and things that I didn't know were there, things from my past, things from just the nature of emotions and help me see things in a new way, help see things inside that explain things that I was observing on the, on the outside. And really, I think, you know, coming home and having kind of new clarity and it wasn't like, oh, I saw a counselor once and... I'm good. Like it took many, many conversations for this, for this growth to happen. And it put us at a place where I was realizing how much fear I was, in, I was being consumed in. I was realizing how hard I was, I was not seeing things clearly. Um, and this helped me be able to do that. And I think just if I may yeah. interject, I think that we need to be good at seeing the people we love and humbly going to them and saying, do you need, can I help you by helping you talk to somebody or, right. but I also think if you're hesitating to communicate that to someone you love, maybe today's the day to do that. Mm -hmm. um, I think sometimes we sit on it, right. but if you're feeling prompted to go to someone you love and say, I want to help you, and I think you need to see someone, then listen to that. Yeah. Because that was so essential for both of us. And what you said, I think what helped us swallow that um, step is I knew that you were coming from a place of love. Yes. There was no question that this is what she wanted from me. I also knew she wasn't coming from a place of, I've got all this figured out, now it's your turn. You know? Absolutely not. Yeah. And so coming from those two places helped me receive that kind yeah. of encouragement well. Definitely. So fast Sorry, forward. No, that. this is great. Fast forward a few years. Um, we had moved up to Minnesota 
And a lot of that brought new spark and new life and, and joy to us and a new adventure. Um, um, in the first couple of years, I think we had really underestimated how, how much the pace of our life had increased and how many things we were adding into our life. Um, and that you were taking on more leadership at work, I was taking on more leadership at work, and, and with that, you're always trying to not show any signs, even ministry, not show any signs of weakness to those who are observing you, whether it's a congregation or a, you know, the, the, the people who lead you and supervise you. And there was just this kind of like, we're gonna get through this kind of mentality. And that worked for a little bit. It worked for a little bit. Um, I remember, I was taking on more responsibility and leadership. It was kind of a stretch season for me. And I remember sitting at a, one of our kids' baseball games and I was in the car with my laptop open trying to finish up emails. And it was this moment of kind of shame and embarrassment because I, I vowed I would never be that kind of dad um, to, have, to not be able to manage my time and my boundaries like that. And, and we knew that the values that we held tightly to were in conflict with the values that we were living our lives by. And that tension creates a lot of stress and angst. And we looked at each other and said, something has to change. We can't keep going on like this, mm-hmm. except nothing did. Um, we continued to do this for a while. And eventually I found myself somewhere that I had only heard about and been warned about and said, that'll never happen to me. And it was a place of total burnout. Mm-hmm. And I could still get out of the bed in the morning. Um, but you couldn't do much else. But I couldn't do much else. I would show up at work, but I wasn't there. Um, I was with our family, but I wasn't very engaged. The joy, the emotion, it was just kind of lack of motivation, lack of capacity. I could do things, but the amount of energy that it took for me to do them um, was completely new territory for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just kind of embarrassed that I had become a statistic <laughs> of another pastor who faced burnout or another person in our society. And what I learned in this, because I thought, well, how am I facing burnout? I know that we've been doing a lot, but I'm not like physically exhausted. And what I learned is that burnout isn't just from doing too much. It's also from the constant feeling of too much. Mm. Like it's an emotional exhaustion as much, if not more than a physical exhaustion. I hear that. And I had been dealing with kind of mild anxiety and depression for years and not paying attention to it. And my body had said enough, we're done with this. And so I knew it was a step for me to, to visit with my doctor about this. And, and I had written on my phone in kind of one of my low moments, I, was, I just wrote down all the things I was feeling. I had people pull me aside who knew me and who loved me and just said, are you, are you okay? Like, what do you need? And I pushed them off. I didn't think anything of it, but I knew that I was getting from multiple directions. People were observing a change and they did, they, Brad wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I wrote all these things down and what I was feeling and I walked into a physical with my doctor and I didn't know if I was gonna share this with them. But um, physicals, even in these days, they're talking a lot about how you're feeling, you know, your pace of life and stuff. And so finally I was just like, okay, whatever, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this. And I broke down in tears as I was reading it and it launched one of the best conversations, a series of conversations that I could have with my doctor where we made a plan for me um, that I received a diagnosis. And, and we said, you know what, for you, this isn't gonna be a one, one thing fix. I started taking medication, but that was part of a bigger picture of, of health um, to be able to navigate this territory and pay attention to all the parts of myself <laughs> that, need, that needed um, God's grace. And so that what was a new... What do you think God was teaching you? What do I think? <laughs> if I Such may, a pastor just... question. I think the big thing was... Transition with that sentence. The big thing and I, is mental health and faith are not enemies. 
Like in another way, mental health and spiritual health go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And I was doing a lot of, of focus on spiritual health in my line of work, but I wasn't paying attention to mental health. And you can only go so far in one without going just as far, if not farther in the other. Um, and so like you said, there was a time when you kind of assumed that if you had faith in God, that it would all sort itself out. And it even feels like the Bible says this at times, like Jesus says, don't worry. And Paul says, you know, don't be anxious about anything. And I think we can sometimes point to those verses and minimize um, or just eat too easily dismiss the role that our emotions um, and our thinking plays. And my faith in Jesus should have implications for my mental health. Mm -hmm. um, but at times we too easily dismiss these aspects of our emotional being that I think Jesus care, cares really, really deeply about. One of the most helpful things for me was the Psalms. And when, I, when you start reading the Psalms and really paying attention to them and not just letting them be words on a page of the Bible, you, you realize the range of emotions that are in the Psalms. Mm -hmm. um, that there are, so just when you think I might be the only one feeling this, you go to the Psalms and you're like, bam. Yeah, like the, there could be nothing that we feel in life that hasn't already been mm -hmm. expressed in scripture. And, and the, the psalmist, as they're complaining and, and voicing their anger, their depression, their sadness, their worry, whatever it may be, their joy, all of these things. Uh, you also have the prophets who um, more than one of them were utterly depressed individuals, even at times questioning their own life. What's unique about these passages though is they brought them these things to God. Mm -hmm. And you think about the hymn, the, the Psalms really being the hymn book of God's people. And I think of scripture all the time as this is how God expresses himself to us. What was new territory for me is that, is that scripture could be my way, the Psalms could be my way of expressing myself and my emotions to God in the mess of all of these ranges, this range of emotions. So I think it was, it was learning, learning to use scripture as a way to express lots of things that was happening inside of me that I didn't even know mm -hmm. was there. And one of the passages that both of us really were continually encouraged by was Psalm 23, yeah. which is sort of cliche-y in that you see it often maybe like on a sympathy card or, right. you know, on a wall hanging or Funerals whatever. Funerals and yeah. Such, yeah. But um, this passage was a real comfort to us because it expressed in scripture so much of what we were feeling and I'm gonna read it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters and he restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I think there's so many parts of this psalm that intersect with what we think and feel um, with our interior life mm -hmm. a lot. Uh, what is it for you? Like, well, I feel like every time I read this, something else, I'm like, oh, yes, right there. That's, but I know um, over the past many years, uh, when I read this scripture in a really honest way, I get tripped up right at the beginning, verse one, I shall not be in want. Because I'm thinking, hold on, I actually want quite a few things. Lord, I'd like to get a good night's sleep. I'd like to not feel such sadness. I'd like to not 
feel such anger. I'd like my heart to be at peace. Lord, here are the things that I want. Uh, so I get tripped up by that right away because there are so many things that I'm asking God for and begging him for. And I think, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. So this has been a journey. It's not like I read this passage and I just was had this incredible insight or whatnot. I think over many, many years and many, many highs and lows and experiences with my depression and anxiety, always intertwined with my faith in Christ, I think I found that, um, as you kind of touched on, I could go to God and say, this is what I want. Please, Lord, I want to be at peace. I want to be filled with joy again. I could be honest with him about that and know that he was listening to me that it was okay that I, that I wanted to be in a healthier place. Um, I couldn't necessarily th see it then, but in hindsight, when I look, as I have a lot over even the past week as we've been preparing, I look at the years and um, the people that God's provided and the professionals and the experts that he's put in my life, the friends, the family, I see his grace to me is continuing to provide connection. Yeah. When it, I think it, you know, right before that verse, it's the declaration, the Lord is my shepherd. Mm -hmm. So I think what you're saying gives evidence to the kind of shepherd that he is, especially as we kind of venture into some of this territory in life. Um, I think for me, the, like going, going, COVID took away a lot from us, from all of us. Um, w one thing I found that it gave me was um, space. And in that space, there were many things that were removed from my life um, that I was, it was, it, in a way, my prayer in that season became this, this phrase, restore my soul. And that, that stands out to me, for one, because of, of what those two words, restore and soul. Like soul gets tossed around a lot as um, kind of this invisible part of you that after you die goes on. Um, and when the Bible talks about soul, especially in the Old Testament, in the, in the Hebrew, that's not what it's talking about. As it talks about the soul, it's talking about this, this center of where your being, your thinking, your feeling all, all come together, this kind of holistic sense of who you are. And you think about the way that, that your soul takes hits and fire every single day of life, on some days and some seasons more than any other. Um, so this, this this word restore, it became a prayer. God, would you restore my soul? And it points to this sense of wholeness. Would you make me whole again? Would you, would you bandage the wounds? Would you fill the gaps? Would you fill the tanks? Um, will, will you bring me to a place of, of wholeness and connection with you? There's, a, there's a, an author uh, who I've been influenced by, I've quoted him before, Dallas Willard, and he writes that our soul isn't like an inner stream of water which gives strength and direction and harmony to every other element of our life. And when that stream is as it should be, we are constantly refreshed and exuberant in all we do because our soul itself is then profusely rooted in our vastness, in the vastness of God and his kingdom, including nature, and all else within us is enlivened and directed by that stream. And that echoes with me because, because water and nature have been kind of places I've felt restored by God for sure. Proverbs 4.23 says that, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. Um, and so I think this brings up for us, like, okay, 
It's part of all of our stories. God is with us in the midst of it, but we're not done managing mental and emotional health in our lives. No, like you don't graduate not. from this. <laughs> we, and no. <laughs> yeah, and you don't even have to hit burnout or depression or anxiety or go through the things that we've gone through to be in this, this territory. Because being a human is hard. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. And that's okay. Scripture says we should expect that. Right. And what a great anchor we have as Christ followers in, yeah. in Jesus. Yeah. But it is hard to be alive right now. And it's hard to be a mom right now. I'm just going to say it on Mother's Day. <laughs> it's hard to be a mom. And the good things in life can be hard. The, the things that you thing, wanted. The very yeah. things that we want and long for can be the very things that break our hearts. Yep. So we wanted to leave us with a few things. These are, we, these are ways that we have found to help us navigate mm -hmm manage uh, mental health, and especially in light of our relationship with God. Um, and this is just stuff for us that's been really meaningful. But hopefully it can be for yes, you too. Yes, for sure. So, um, but it the first one kind of comes out of what I was just talking about. This first thing is just practicing soul care. There's a lot of talk about self-care, which is good. I think we should be caring for ourselves out there. You'll hear about that at work and, and all these things. But I think as followers of Christ, our entry point is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. When we think about what our soul is, what God has given to us, what it, that encompasses, and realizing that, that this is kind of the stream of life, that when that stream is healthy, the other areas of our lives are healthy, that we can keep our heart with all diligence, like Proverbs talks about. Um, that keeping our, taking care of our soul is, is a necessary thing. It's not a selfish thing. It's an important thing. In fact, Jesus practiced soul care. We see him pulling back from the crowds. We see him spending time with his heavenly father. We see him taking naps, you know? Maybe the most spiritual thing you can do today to take care of your soul is to go home and take a nap, especially if mm. you have children yes. in your household, you have permission. Like, yes, or you just <laughs> or tired, no. take a nap. Yeah. Um, so one, one question we would ask that, you know, maybe you would think about is what are the intentional rhythms that are going to help you rest, reflect, and reconnect with Jesus? For me, I really needed to have a game plan because if there weren't some kind of specific things that I was trying to do every day, I just was, I felt like this could, these could be the areas where I could win every single day. Um, for me, it's, uh, moving my body, move, walking outside, uh, the breathing fresh air, being in nature, that's always been a way that God has restored and I've restored me and us and that I've connected with him. And uh, when, I, when I walk, I, have, I've, I very rarely listen to anything. It's oftentimes the only time of my day where it's quiet. And I just start chatting with Jesus sometimes and it's nothing formal or fancy at all. But giving myself that space in the room to bring it, be in the fresh air, move my body, and be open in a place of quiet and solitude is a game changer for me. You shared with me how that's a time when you are able to invite God into the crowdedness of your mind. Oh, and it is chock full up here. But right. when, I'm, when I have those moments, that's when I can start to unload some of that. And it's just a real, really important part yeah. of my day for me. Even if, and 
And it's not like, I mean, I'd love to go walk for a couple hours, not possible. So I really can reset and feel um, a connection with Christ like in five minutes. If that's all I have, I can, yeah. that can be time wisely used. I think the key is what are you being intentional about? Right. Right. So it could be different for other people yeah. for sure. Um, um, second thing. Yep. So practicing soul care. We already talked about this, but partnering with a counselor. Can't and I recommend it enough. Yeah, and it has been pivotal. I would recommend it to everyone um, I have. That was part of what the hard thing for me was like, I, I'm oftentimes the person that people come and see when life gets hard. Like, what does it mean if I have to go see someone? And I was like, Brad, listen to yourself. Like, of course, everyone needs to see someone. And we talk about this with our kids. They know that we see counselors because we see dentists for the health of our teeth on a regular basis. We see doctors for the health of our bodies. Why wouldn't we see an expert to help, to help us uh, manage the health of our, of our souls? And this is an important part. What I would say is don't wait for a crisis to hit, for things to get bad, whether it's in your own personal, individual life, in your marriage, in anything, to talk to someone about it, and to begin th- that relationship. And I think too, we often feel like, we, like something's, something big, I need to go talk to a counselor, when in reality, if you make an appointment, you'll find something to talk about. <laughs> right, and that's, you, you know, and we're gonna be, through this series, we'll be talking about so many of the resources that Heartland offers and ways that you can take these steps. So, so this, is, this is a big one that's right at the forefront of things that we offer to our bodies. So um, I think thirdly, finally, uh, prioritizing close relationships. Mm-hmm. You wanna talk about this? I think that uh, if you've ever felt lonely or isolated, um, that can, it can be a form of self-protection, like I'm going to remove myself and isolate myself, and it kind of feels good for a while until it doesn't. And what I think I've learned over and over again is I need trusted people that I can connect with and be authentic with and be honest with, um, who just accept me for who I am. And sometimes that means making myself uh, connect with people who I truly love, knowing that that is gonna be so good for my soul. But also I think the connections that I've made, and and we've said this several times with medical professionals and counselors, again, all those connections are what bring so much life. This, This, we, part of this journey involved hard years of marriage. Mm. And our marriage took beatings and, and needed restoration. And on one weekend with a marriage counselor, we were on a retreat and this was one of the steps they gave us. And it wasn't one we wanted to hear. We were like, no thanks. <laughs> they said, you know, who are the people in your life that you're moving closer to? And I think the reason we said no thanks, let me just, <laughs> is because that was hard. It took energy and vulnerability. It was hard to be vulnerable. Yeah. yeah. But yet here we are today. <laughs> And what we learned is that, especially with mental and emotional health, connection is key. Yep. And I think in the hardest connection in, in this kind of journey and struggle is maybe one's connection with God. That um, we can isolate ourselves even more from, from God and, than from other people. Um, I'm gonna invite our worship team back out. We asked them if we could wrap up this service, uh, if, uh, if you're able to stay. I know. The, moms and lunches and you have reservations and things, but we don't want this Sunday to be about us. We don't want this to be about our story, but we want this to be about a way for maybe you to look at your story 
and to see Jesus in your story and to take a look at, at your soul. And maybe where's a word that you need to hear from Jesus today or just to understand the shepherd that he is in, in your own journey. Um, because that connection in, in mental health with Jesus can feel like the hardest one in those, in those low moments. There was a song that um, we used to listen to on an album, a song by a guy named Charlie Hall. And I never understood these lyrics. Um, the words were, sweet Jesus Christ, my clarity. Sweet Jesus Christ, my sanity. And those aren't words that you're used to hearing in worship songs. And I didn't understand them until mental health and the struggles that go with that became a part of our stories. Because in the, in the darkness, um, in the loneliness of, of depression and anxiety, you want something to be real and clear and true. And I love the words of this song that it becomes a prayer. So say, Jesus, would you be what is, what is true? Would you be what is real? Would you be what is clear in the midst of this confusion that I'm walking through right now? In the midst of this, these shadows, the shadow of death, would you be my sanity? Would you be my clarity? And so I invited these guys just to come and to, we're not gonna sing that song, but we're gonna sing about Jesus. And I hope that it can be a time that for all of us, we can hold on to him. We can reach out and focus on him now. And then Dan's gonna come up and we'll close out our service together. So let this song be sung over you or maybe be a, a way to express yourself to Jesus. <laughs>